0: Well, Merry Christmas! It's great to see all of you. Um, obviously, I wish you a Merry Christmas. You don't want me to have a Merry Christmas. That's okay. I'm not offended by that. Um, we are glad that you're worshiping with us this evening. It's a special time of the year. We got Christmas trees and lights and all of that, and it's just a great evening to worship. The fact that the King has come and will come again as. Adam mentioned at the very beginning of the service, if you're a guest with us, we want to extend a special welcome to you. We're very glad that you're worshiping with us this evening, celebrating Christmas with us. We want to let you know, first of all, that we do have services on Sundays at 10 a.m. right here. We also want to direct your attention, uh, each of you should have received a bulletin, just explains what we're doing this evening. Inside there, there's an info card, uh, we ask that you give us as much information as you feel comfortable giving us. At the end of the service, you could simply take that card back to the Connection Center. Some of the other pastors and elders will be there, and we'd be happy to meet you and uh, give you as much information as you like about the church. I should mention my name is Levi Pancake. For those of you who don't know me, I serve as one of the pastors and elders here, and We are really delighted to be celebrating uh, the fact that Jesus has come. The God incarnate, fully God, fully man, became the sacrificial lamb, dying in the place of sinners. That's what we celebrate this evening. So before we get into it, I just want to take one more moment. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the freedom and the privilege that we have to worship you this evening. Father, we thank you for the fact that you sent Jesus, that Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. Father, specifically this evening, I want to pray for all the parents that are here this evening. I pray that you would give them wisdom on how to raise their kids and knowledge and fear of the Lord. I pray that you would guide them and direct them that they would be a strong example to their children we want to thank you for all the kids that are in the service this evening kids that are typically in our missio kids ministries on sunday morning it's great to hear their voices it's great to be worshiping with them this evening i pray that you would bless them and keep them that your face would shine upon them that you would be gracious and give them peace that you would soften their hearts to the gospel and that you would use them to impact this world for your kingdom Thank you for the grandparents that are here this evening and the legacy that they've left. We thank you for their influence in our lives. We thank you for the single person that's here this evening as well. We thank you for the gift that is singleness in 1 Corinthians 7, and we pray that you would be with them. I think of those who Christmas may bring about some feelings of loneliness and despair, and Father, we pray that unmet promises or broken promises wouldn't drive the season, but that we would reflect and pause and think about the fact that You have been faithful to Your covenant promise in sending Your Son. Father, tonight we have reason for much hope, and so I pray tonight that there is a tone of rejoicing, celebration, and that as You allow us to open up Your Word, that You would stir our affections for You and allow us to just pause to stop for a moment and reflect on what Advent means, your coming means for all of humanity. Father, we love you. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So this is a special day, this is a special season, I mean, as I've already mentioned, there's Christmas lights, you see wreaths, and there's snow in the air, and there's holiday movies on TV, like A White Christmas, and Grinch, and Die Hard, all over the place, you see holiday specials, the sing-off is on NBC, I mean, there's, there's a lot of fun Christmas things happening, and if your house was like my house when I was growing up, it was crazy, it was fun, we were always excited to be off of school, it's a very special time but it is also one of the most chaotic and crazy times as well. Hopefully, all of you have got your shopping done. There might be a few procrastinators left. If your house was like my house, you have a lot of wrapping to do still and maybe some baking. But again, in this chaotic season, and it can be about getting the right present and all the pressures that go with that. It could be about um, really just figuring out how to coordinate everyone's schedules and be with family and appreciate the joys that come with that And the not joys that come with being with family and traveling and driving in the snow and all of these things that become so chaotic and before you know it, Christmas is over and you're left wondering what just happened at about 10 a.m. on Christmas morning. This became very apparent to me last year when my wife and I uh, took our, at that time, our only child, now we have a, a newborn at home, was two and a half weeks old, but at that time, a year ago, we took our only child, Sophia, who was one to Go see Santa. So, we're new parents. We are very excited about this endeavor. And so, uh, we go to the place, and, and immediately we see that there's a 30 minute wait to sit on Santa's lap. But we're not deterred by that at all. We're excited about it, and we have grand, a grand vision of what the picture's going to look like. Our hope would be that our daughter Sophia would smile with Santa, and we can use that possibly as a Christmas tree ornament where someday she can maybe bring her husband there and we can say, That was your second Christmas, but first Christmas was Santa. Or, or maybe if she cries, we had this backup plan where she started freaking out. Have no fear. We had 30 minutes to figure this plan out. And when we got there, she started to cry. What we would do was I would pick her up. I would hold her. Julie would stand on Santa's other side, and we would take this family photo. And potentially, this could be our Christmas card for the new year. I mean, we were we had high expectations, we get there, it's our turn, and for some reason I'm a grown man, but when it's our turn I get giddy. You know, if you've ever seen a Christmas story, I feel like that. It's our moment. We get up there, elves are directing us, kind of just t- pointing to where we need to go. And, and we get up there, and we put Sophia on Santa's lap, and it just gets crazy really quick. She um, opens her mouth to start freaking out, but it's one of those cries that, like, her mouth is open, but there's no noise coming out, you know, like you're waiting for the cry to come out, and when the cry comes, it's going to be disastrous, but there's no cry yet, and her face is red, and there's a line of people, and the elves are moving us on, and Santa's smiling, and before we know it, we're in the middle of the store, and we're holding this Polaroid that looks like this. You'll see the picture on the screen. Looks like that. Hopefully you can see it in the back, but that is my daughter with Santa, and she is just losing it, losing her mind. Now, if you notice there, Santa's not even phased by it. He's a professional, this is what his life has come to, and he was prepared for this moment. And So immediately, we, once the picture, you know, the old Polaroid, it starts to show what the picture looks like. My wife starts to get teary-eyed, and all of our hopes are dashed, and we're thinking, what just happened? Now, we can laugh about it, but... I think for many of us, we have these grand plans, we we have this picture of what Christmas is going to be like, and all of a sudden, it's, it's over. What just happened? It's crazy. And what tonight does, this gives us the opportunity to pause. It gives us the opportunity to rejoice that the King has come. And that the King will come again. It gives us an opportunity to pause and reflect on the familiar Christmas story. And we get to think about the fact that God, our Creator, God incarnate, took on flesh and dwelt among us. And we can worship Him for that. So tonight, what we're going to look at with this very familiar Christmas story is a very famous and familiar passage in John 3.16. Now, John 3.16, it's more than this verse that you see at football games where people are getting ready to kick the field goal and they hold up the verse and, and you're thinking, okay, that guy thinks he's evangelizing. It's more than a guy holding up a sign you know, on the Today Show while Al Roker is reading the news. It's more than that. But in John 3.16, you see this, this very succinct and clear picture of the good news, the gospel. And so we're going to read John three sixteen and following. And if you've been at Missio at any point in the last year, you know that we've been in this series called That You May Have Life, where we've been going verse by verse through the gospel of John. And when I told the other guys that I was going to be in John 3, 16 tonight, and we will look at a birth narrative. Don't freak out. We'll be in Luke 2 for a moment. But when I told the guys that we would be in John 3, 16, they just chuckled because we can't, as a church, find ourselves out of the gospel of John. But nonetheless, it's where we're at. And And if you know what's going on in the Gospel of John, John in chapter 20, verse 31, explains his purpose. And his purpose in writing it is essentially that we may know Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, may believe in Him. That's what John says his purpose is. And in John chapter 3, Jesus is having this conversation at night with a religious leader named Nicodemus who's asking some questions, and Jesus explains about being born again, and Nicodemus has more questions, and finally Jesus says these very familiar and famous words. And I would encourage us before we read it to not allow the familiarity of this verse or the familiarity of this holiday to stop us from really relishing, rejoicing, wondering, like Mary did in Luke 2, at all that God has done and is doing. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The main idea tonight, what we want to focus on is this, that the hope of Christmas is that we have been loved and continue to be loved by God. The hope of Christmas is that we have been and continue to be Loved by God. This word hope means a person or thing in which expectations are centered. If you think of the Christmas story, the fact that Mary marveled, at the shepherds worshipped, that the wise men searched, that Herod raged, all of those things were centered around the person of Christ. Tonight, our expectations are centered on who Jesus is and what Jesus is has done for God's glory on our behalf. You see that God has loved us and continues to love us. You see that very clearly in John three sixteen. We can see the value of the gift is measured by the depth of love, or the depth of love is measured by the gift, whatever. There's a correlation between how much God loves and the gift that He gives. And The first thing we notice is that in demonstrating this love, God has taken the initiative in sending His Son. First part, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God. For God. Let's not pass over this. Let's pause for a moment. It starts with God. God initiated it in sending His Son before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 says, we're chosen to be holy and blameless in His sight. God, our Creator. Genesis 1 tells us, in the beginning, God. Think about this. God, in, in Genesis 1, He just speaks things into being and they exist. He just says the words and they're created. Many of us, I think tomorrow morning if you have kids, when you're assembling toys, you're going to wish that you could speak things into being and they would exist. But instead, while we're assembling toys and they're frustrating us, we'll be speaking other things that we don't want our kids to hear us say. But God just speaks it. It's created. He speaks stars and they're stars and the Psalms tells us that He knows every star by name. He speaks moon, and there's a moon. He speaks trees, and there's trees. Water, and there's water. Flowers, and there's flowers. And he declares all these things good. And then he says, burn dairy ice cream. And there's burn dairy ice cream. And he declares it good. He creates all of these things. He calls them good. He's the creator. And he's the sustainer. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 you get this picture of the heavenly host all worshiping God together and they're, they're praising Him and they're saying, worthy are You, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they existed and were created. We worship Him because of His power and His majesty and because He's holy and He's righteous and He's set apart. He's good. And he's creating all of these things, then he creates us in his image. Calls it very good. This God, creator of everything, the sustainer of everything. I was reading Charles Spurgeon recently, and he was talking about how when he's sitting in his den and, and the sun is shining through the window, which we don't get to see that often here in December, but the sun is shining through the window. And sometimes, you've probably seen this before, he's talking about these dust particles that you can see when the sun just shines right through the window and and how they move throughout the air. And he starts writing about how even those dust particles, God sustains those, orchestrates those, and there's a pattern, there's a rhythm, there's a purpose to how they float through the air. God, the creator and the sustainer of all things, holy and righteous, worthy of praise. This God, for God, so loved the world. The term world in John's writings, you see it in his gospel, in the epistles, it, it doesn't just mean like the earth. It's a Greek word cosmos. It, It doesn't just mean the earth is like the astronauts would view it from the space station, but it's this picture of an organized, and a fallen and organized rebellion against God. It's the picture of a desperate humanity who's lost in a kingdom of darkness, who's enthralled by Satan, and who are separated from God. See, not only the... Depth of love displayed by the value of the gift, but we also see the beauty of the gift by who the recipients are of this gift. For God so loved the world, the world. See that God demonstrated his love for us, that he made the world the object of his love. It's fascinating to think about that. Colossians 1 says that we are alienated from God, hostile in mind, enemies of the cross, apart from Christ. I think in order for us to really appreciate what we are celebrating and worshiping this evening, Jesus in order for us to really grasp the beauty of why we come and worship tonight, we have to pause and reflect on our condition apart from Christ. I think so often we um, we don't think we're that bad. We think we're pretty lovable, we're nice people, and oftentimes when we think about the word sin, we don't think we're that sinful. We often compare ourselves to maybe the people in the news that we read about, people who murder or people who um, commit genocide or terrorists or things like that, and so we know we've done some things wrong, but we don't really feel that terrible. I remember being in high school and um, thinking that I was a pretty big deal. Um, I had won prom king, and I was pretty popular, a lot of people liked me, and And I thought I was pretty awesome, but the older I get, the more I realize um, I wasn't that awesome in high school. I just hung out with a bunch of morons, really is what it was. I just hung out with morons. So as I was hanging out with them, um, I would compare myself to them, and I thought, I'm pretty smart, pretty good looking. But the reality is, the more people I meet, the less awesome I feel. (laughs) I don't feel that special anymore. In a similar way, I think oftentimes what we need to do is, and the Scriptures tell us that we compare ourselves to the holy character of God, and when we do that to His holiness, we don't match up well. Isaiah tells us that our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You see in the Scriptures that when people compare themselves, so they, or they look and they're encountered with the holiness and the glory of God, they, they retreat. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah encounters God. He says, Woe is me! He's undone by it. Exodus 33, Moses asks God to see his face, his face and, and God denies that request. But he allows him to go up on Mount Sinai, and, and as God passes through, he tells Moses to hide in the cleft of a rock. As God passes by, Moses sees his back, the hem of his garment, and then when Moses comes down from the mountain, his face radiates with so much of God's glory that the people make him put a veil on because it freaks him out. Luke chapter 5, you see when the disciples encounter Jesus, Jesus tells the disciples in Luke 5 to go out and get some fish. They capture tons and tons of fish, and Peter is just overwhelmed by the fact of who Jesus is, that that Peter says, away from me, for I am a sinner. And When people encounter a holy and righteous God, it's, it's undoing. John 3, 17 and 18 says that our condition, that because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because of all of that, that we're already condemned. Verse 17 of John 3, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Verse 18, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Our condition apart from Christ, and if you're in Christ this evening, this is why we have reason to celebrate and rejoice that Christ has come. This is why we can sing things like joy to the world Because God did not allow us to stay in that condition. But as we stood there already condemned before God, John 1 tells us that God sent His Son and Jesus took on flesh, dwelt among us. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes it this way, verse 4, But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even, verse 5 says, when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 1 John chapter 3 says that Jesus came in order to take away sin and to destroy the works of the devil. So it's, it's with that landscape, for God so loved the world, it's, it's that condition that then we see what we celebrate on Christmas in Luke chapter 2, that was the situation that Jesus is sent in the form of a babe in a the manger, then lives a perfect sinless life, and becomes our substitute, and dies death and absorbs the wrath of God in our place that we might have eternal life. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Here's the familiar Christmas narrative. Here's the beauty of what happens on Christmas Eve. I'm sorry I have nothing new to tell you on Christmas Eve, but what I do have to tell you is glorious news. It's good news. The announcement that Jesus has come Luke 2 verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. I I love this story because you you get to see again in God's sovereignty how he's controlling and in control of all things. And he orchestrates in such a way where, in order to fulfill Old Testament prophecy, Joseph and Mary have to go to Bethlehem where our Savior would be born. Verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That word all in the Greek means all for everyone, for all the people who would believe in His name. This is great news. For unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. Imagine this. Praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Verse 15, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered, marveled. They were in awe of what the shepherds told them. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. We see that in demonstrating this love, God has given us the opportunity to believe and be saved through His Son. And what happens on Christmas night, what we celebrate, God initiated this, takes on flesh, dwells among us, humbles himself, takes the posture and position of a servant, a suffering servant, that we could be reconciled to God. He does this in order to set us free from judgment for sonship or adoption. He sets us free from ourselves for service and glory to this righteous King. He sets us free from decay for glory. He comes to be the Savior of the world. C.J. Mahaney, in his book, uh, Living the Cross-Centered Life, I think gives a great illustration. As we wrap up, I'll invite the band to come up. I think allows us to think about, again, the beauty that is the incarnation, the beauty that is what we celebrate this evening. Mahaney writes this. In World War II... Ernest Gordon was a British captive in a Japanese prison camp by the River Kauai in Burma, where the POWs were forced to build a railroad of death for transporting Japanese troops to the battlefront. They were tortured, starved, and worked to the point of exhaustion. Nearly 16,000 died. Gordon survived the horrors of that experience and wrote about it in a monumental work through the Valley of the Kwai, published in 1962 and later made into the movie To End All Wars. He describes on one occasion when, at the end of a workday, the tools were being counted before the prisoners returned to their quarters. A guard declared that a shovel was missing. He began to rant and rave, demanding to know which prisoner had stolen it. Working himself into a paranoid fury, he ordered whoever was guilty to step forward and take his punishment. No one did. All die, the guard shrieked. All die. He cocked his rifle and aimed it at the prisoners. At that moment, one man stepped forward. Standing at attention, he calmly declared, I did it. The Japanese guard at once clubbed the prisoner to death. As his friends carried away his lifeless body, the shovels in the tool shed were recounted, only to reveal that there was no missing shovel. Imagine, if you can... The effect upon his fellow prisoners of this man's substitutionary sacrifice for them. It's a profound and moving story of sacrifice and heroism, yet it falls short of being an adequate illustration of the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ because there is no adequate illustration. Unlike the situation of those prisoners staring into the cocked and loaded gun of a deranged guard, you and I do not face death from a fellow sinner. What we face is the righteous threat of furious wrath from a holy God. That is the threat faced by all who have gone astray, by each one who has turned to his own way. In our case, the shovel is missing. There is, in fact, a great deal more that's missing. We are indeed guilty of sin and deserving punishment. But the innocent one, the holy one, God the Son, stepped forward took on flesh, dwelt among us, and died for the rest of us. On that cross, the serpent suffered for sinners like you and me because of sinners like you and me, and as the substitute for sinners like you and me. He takes the punishment that you and I richly deserve, yet in Isaiah's words we read, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. They said he was being justly judged by God for the sin of blasphemy. While those who have been granted new eyes perceive that he was indeed smitten by God and afflicted, but not for his sin, but for ours. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, whoever, believes in Him, will not perish but have eternal life. Love the phrase, whoever you think about. Okay, it doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, it doesn't matter your job, it doesn't matter your past, it doesn't matter where you were born, it doesn't matter how much you've sinned or the extent of your sin, whoever believes, places their trust, turns to Jesus will not perish that word perish is a frightful word no longer stands under the wrath of God but will have life so this evening for those of us who are followers of Christ who have turned from our sin and cried out to God through Jesus Christ we've turned to Him placed our faith in Him our response this evening is to rejoice rejoice the king has come humbly, not to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And part of our worship and response this evening is that we're going to come together and we're going to celebrate communion. We're going to do this in remembrance of him. We're going to take the bread, which represents his body that he gave on our behalf we'll drink from the cup which represents his blood that will shed on our behalf this evening if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ I would encourage you to respond on this Christmas Eve as Jordan said in 2013 the response is the same believe and worship God I would encourage you as we're taking communion, would invite you to come to talk to myself, to Jordan, Bernie, Adam, someone you came with. And we would love to talk with you further about this wonderful news that we celebrate on Christmas. We would pray that you would turn from your sins, those things that separate you from God, and you would cry out, Jesus, I'm going to pray and then we'll take communion together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for taking the posture of that of a servant. Thank you that we could come and join the heavenly host and declare joy to the world on this holy night. I do pray that there's anyone here this evening that doesn't know you that I that you would work in their hearts, that you would do this miracle in such a way where they would turn to you. Recognize for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet that you demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father, we thank you We worship you this evening. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.